thank you very much to the three of you for um, making time to speak to us, uh, making time to share your stories, um, stories that, of course, need to be told, uh, stories that are important. I, I think it's important that there will be less of me saying anything and more of you. And the reason why is that this is your platform. These are your stories. And a lot of us do not spend time listening. So I want to spend time listening. And hopefully those who are listening to our conversation get more of your stories, more of you and your interaction with each other and your sharing than me posing all sorts of questions. I think it's important that I say that um, from the beginning. So, uh, Whitney, let's start with you, your your story. Okay. Um, I've been in a marriage where abuse has come from the beginning. Um, I got married at a young age, around about 22. Um, my husband was abusive to me, and then recently... Um, I decided to call it enough. I've had enough of this abuse. And I think in um, society that we live in, um, we also are open to see that you don't have to take the abuse. There are means and ways to deal with it. Um, one day I was on my way to work and he wouldn't allow me to go to work. Uh, he said that um, today will be his day to entertain himself. So that was the day that changed my whole life, emotionally, physically, mentally. I locked myself into the house for two weeks after the rape. Um, I just felt that I couldn't face reality and I couldn't face people and I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I was a strong world woman, an independent person, all these years, and here this event comes and it knocks me off my feet. Um, at first I didn't want to make a case, but it was important for me to grasp the fact that if I do not make a case, nothing will happen, nothing will be heard, nothing will be actioned. If I did not make a case, you could walk around and just think that what you did was okay and that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to be that voice that came out and said, enough, stop, no, no means no. Unconsented sex is not right. Even though you're married, doesn't mean that you have the right to take somebody's human right to say no away from them. That's my part of my story. Thank you very much uh, for, for sharing. Uh, Fumana, your story. My story is I was raped by my cousin brother when I was eight years old. In Eastern Cape, he raped me in his home behind his mother's bed. And that day changed my life for good because when he finished raping me, First of all, he told me that I mustn't cry, I mustn't make a noise. 
he's just going to put his tongue in my mouth so the pain will go away. Then I allowed him to do that, but the pain didn't go away. The pain just became more. I became numb because my voice couldn't come out. I was crying, the tears were falling down, but my voice couldn't come out. Then when he finishes raping me, I go. I went home. When I got home, I was crying. My mother asked me, what is going on? I told her that my head is terrible, killing me. That was the, the, the start of the lie, of the lies that went on in my life. That, she, that was the change of my life. And then the rape, after that, I ignored the rape. I just put it in the back of my mind. What happened is that I would go to his place. I would want him to do what he did before, but he would run away. I couldn't control my body. It was like I'm somebody else in some... I'm, I'm me, but in somebody else's body. My mind will tell me that it's going to be, be, be painful just like before, but my body wanted to him to do what he was doing but he would run away so I ignore that so then the after effects of the rape started but I didn't know it was the after effect of the rape I was still young at the age of 13 when a boy comes to me and tell me that he loves me I would beat the hell out of him because I know that when the sun goes down, he would want what my cousin did to me. He'd want to do what my cousin did to me. And that was very painful. Then that was the start of my terrible life. I continue living like that. I lie a lot. I always created stories. I would do something that I know is wrong. And I will do it knowing it's wrong. I wonder the attention. What will, people, will other people say when I'm doing this? Then if they correct me, I will tell myself that they don't like me because they so, they always telling me that I'm doing something wrong. I always I put the blame on others. I get to the point where I'll sleep with any man that comes around. If I see a man... And I see this man, wow, this is handsome. He is handsome. I would make sure that I will sleep with that man. I, don't, I wouldn't care if that man says about me after that, as long as I, I, I satisfied my body. I would also sleep with my friend's men. I wouldn't care. I didn't care. I got to the point where I named myself a damaged super bitch. Because that's how I felt about me. I felt I was damaged because my cousin took everything for me. He took my strength. He took my dignity. He took my power. Most of all, he took my virginity. So I told myself that I'm just damaged. I'm something that I'm not worth it. So I called myself a damaged super bitch. Till I get to the point where I had flashbacks every time when I'm sleeping with my boyfriend. That's when I decided to, 
to talk about the rape. After 15 years, I kept it for myself for 15 years. And then when the flashbacks come, I needed help. I told myself that this is the time when I need help now. I need help. I need to talk to someone. That's when I met with the rape crisis. And I'm grateful for rape crisis because today I'm sitting here telling, uh, talking about my story. I'm at that point now where I can stand on top of Table Mountain and shout, I am the rape survivor. Because I feel like today I'm the rape survivor. For for many years I've been the victim. Yes, we call ourselves the rape survivor immediately after I survived the rape. But for me, being a rape survivor, it's where I am now. Because we called, we called, we called ourselves a rape survivor, but the rape still affects us. There are many, the rape affects us in different ways. Other people will act normal. She will be a normal person. No cryings, no nothing. But me, the rape really, really damaged me in many ways because I ended up being the patient at Linda Hay Hospital because of the after effects of the rape. And I will always say it's not about that day when he raped me. It's not about that pain I felt at that moment. It's about the pain I'm going through after the rape. Today, I always say that um, people that have, ha- that have been raped these days are very fortunate because there is rapes, rape crisis for them. Rape crisis is there for them. So immediately after rape, they got the counseling and all that stuff. I didn't get that for 15 years. That's why the rape damaged me that much. And after that, uh, when I got to got to rape crisis, I got the help, the support, uh, the support from rape crisis. I, I, I can't even tell how much I appreciate the people from rape crisis because they always there, always there. They explain to you about the rape. They explain to you what the rape does to you so that you can understand what is happening to you. Then you get to be the the survivor I'm talking about. If you don't understand what is happening to you, if you don't understand what the rape does, for me, you're not the survivor yet. You will be the survivor when you told yourself that I need to live that moment once more. I need to go through that by telling you details of that that day. Like by, by me saying that he took my dress and pulled my dress. He pulled my panties down. He opened my legs. He unzipped his trouser. He took out his penis and then he penetrated me. And then you see that when I say that, I, I don't even feel sad, not anymore. And another thing that is good is for, to forgive. 
that's the best to forgive. It's not easy. No, it's not easy. But you don't have to tell him that you forgive him. Don't do it for him. Do it for yourself. I got to the point where I told myself now, no, this is too much. I've, I've been carrying this baggage for too long, for far too long. I couldn't face him. He is my family. When he got in my house, I would get out because I couldn't face him. I got to the point that I'm not going to run away from home just because of him. I need to forgive him. For, do it for me so that this heavy burden in my shoulders can go away. And when I did forgive him, oh, trust me, the heavy lift was, was gone. Then that's when I call myself a truly rape survivor. That's how my story goes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, where is Okay. Um, this is my story. Um, wow. Um, my first rape was when I was like six years old. Um, I was staying in Swellendam, so we were like staying on a farm. And I was raped by a stepbrother. Um, it happened while I was sick with chicken pox. And my mother had to go to work and my stepfather had to go to work. And the only person that were looking after me on that day was him. And, um, and that day was actually the day where my whole life turned to a whole new level. Um, that's the day when he actually raped me as much as I was sick. And after the whole rape, he kind he like threatens me like if I tell my mother because um, that's the only person that I know is my mom. And he told me, I'm going to kill your mother, and I'm going to kill herself. Nobody's going to believe you, and um, you're not my father's child anyway. And for me, as a six-year-old, I had to think about my mom. I didn't thought about myself. And I didn't think about the pain that I was feeling. And I was like, I have to do this for my mother and I'm not going to tell anybody, even though it happened. And the next day, the only thing I know was, I just don't want to stay with him anymore. I just want to be left somewhere where he's not going to touch me again. We, um... I don't want to see what I saw, what it did to me. I don't want to feel the penetration. I don't want to see the blood on on the bed, on the sheets. I just want to be left at a neighbor's house, even though nobody knew what was actually wrong with me. And that was the start of a six-year-old keeping a secret that was a start of a six-year-old 
have to be strong for not only herself but strong for her mother but as much as that happened nobody knew that while I was coming to Cape Town that it will actually happen again at that time my mom was still a domestic worker and she was working in Mitchell's Plain so I would normally walk to um, see my mom and I will always to, took a shortcut because when you're walking from Kailicha to like Mitchell's Plain it's like close to Tafel so you will see it's like a very close area so for me a shortcut is like to go through the bushes where the shortcut is to get to the other side of the main road and walk but not knowing that I would love another experience where somebody would come behind me have a knife against my neck and told me not to make a noise and told me to lie down and that's when my second rape happened um, for me, at that time, I didn't think of waking up, turning back home. I wake up and I continue the journey that I was planning to do to go and see my mom. When I got there, the first thing when I got there was like, um, I want to go to the toilet. Nobody knew what I was going to do. When I got to the toilet, I locked the door and I took the toilet paper and I was like sitting there and trying to figure out what just happened to me on my way here and I was just wiping myself and I came out and I was like smiling because now I'm not going to show that anything happened and I didn't tell my mom even then. I. After that, I went back home, walked the same road, didn't say, you know what, something happened to you, but you're still walking the same road. I still walked the same road back home. And at that time, I got home. I remember telling my friends that, you know what, something like this happened to me. And they were like laughing at me like, okay, you must be joking. And that's when I realized, okay, nobody believes me, even if I'm going to tell my brother at home so I keep that to myself but nothing actually I didn't realize that what happened to me the second time is actually what happened to me when I was like six years old and I think around that time I just keep it to myself and go on as life just put it behind my back and think about you know what you're still young you're a teenager so live your life and as years gone by um it happened again and the third time it got worse that's when i was gang raped um at that time i was dating a, a guy that was in school and not knowing that he knew my ex-boyfriend which I actually break up with him because of I found out that he was actually involved in gangsterism. And when he came and visited me and he's like asking me to accompany him to his house and I'm like, okay, I don't think there's something wrong about that. 
But on our way, as we were walking, then we met up with my ex-boyfriend and I didn't know that they were actually meeting the first time and what they planned were at that specific time until when we got to his house and that's when the actual rape happened. And it was like from the whole night until the next morning, they were like exchanging themselves on me. I was feeling numb. I couldn't scream because even if I scream in the area where I live, the first question was, you're a girl. What were you doing here at this time? And all I was doing is was like, praying and saying, please, God, can this please be over? And can I please just go home? And I think by the time they finish doing as much as I'm feeling numb, I'm suppressing the pain. I'm suppressing every single thing. And the main important thing that I also learned is was I just don't want to have any blackouts. Some people would want blackouts. You don't want to remember anything. And I, was, I didn't want to. I just want to go home. I left the next morning. It was around 6 o'clock in the morning. And as much as my boyfriend were like apologizing and I was like, I don't want to speak to you. I just want to get home. When I get home, nobody asked me where I was the whole night. And all I wanted to do was want to take a bath and crying because I wasn't crying. I, I got tired of crying the whole night, but now it comes back. At that specific time, I was like, you know, it's the next day, move on. It's a life. I blame myself. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe it's me that lead them on. And that was a lie for me because at that time I'm like the teenager. And as a teenager, been going through those different stages, I didn't even put the connection of when I was six, that's when the first rape started, and when I was like starting my teenage years because I wasn't 18 yet at that time. Um, my life went on as normal. Nobody knew how I was. Nobody knew my pain. And nobody knew what was happening to me. My relationships was from one boyfriend to another. I, I became a parent at a very early stage. I was looking for attention. And I didn't know what the attention was all about. Because for me, if a guy come to me, because I grew up in a different area, as I put myself, like in Surinam, I grow up speaking Afrikaans. And for me, attention was like normal, but I didn't know that it wasn't actually normal. And every man or guy that approaches me, I wouldn't say no, because for me, it was like, it's a normal thing. You have to have sex because that's what everybody doing out there. I think I lived with it for all these rapes for many, many years until I I remember being, I think, my 30s when 
rape crisis was like doing a training at where I was working before at another NGO. And at the same time that they were doing a training, we were also having a court case going on in my house where my brother was actually arrested for raping my adopted sister. And at that specific time, I think I did have flashbacks that, because I was the one going to the court case and listening, I did have flashbacks that this is like a similar thing that happened to me, but I was kind of suppressing it. No, this isn't the same thing. It's different. And then when the training happened, I remember towards the last day of the training, and they gave us this exercise and say, can you guys please make, you can make up a story or you can tell something, but just tell something that happened to you. And how did you feel? And we were putting into groups. And I remember I was with one, one guy was in my group, which was a colleague of mine. And then they were like, they know I'm talkative sometimes. And they were like, okay, you go first. And I was like, you know what? What happened to me when I was six? My stepbrother slept with me when I was that age and that age. And then he was like shocked. And I was smiling when I was talking because I'm sharing a story because this is what happened to me. And then he looked at me and he was like, do you actually know that you were actually raped? And I was like, what? Really? And he was like, yes. I'm like, um, okay. I think at that time, that's when I kind of connected my brother's court case and the flashbacks and everything that actually happened in my relationships, that the attention that I was seeking from men and all the other stuff, the secrets that I was keeping was actually connected. And I remember after the training, I got called in by my previous boss into his office and he was like, okay, this is what I heard and we gonna give an appointment with the rep crisis and go for your counseling sessions. And I'm like, okay. But they could see in my face that I still absorbing what's actually happened to me and what I just did. I opened up for a very long time. And at that time, like, I'm, I'm also a parent. I was already a parent. I was already a mother of four girls at that time. And I was like, no problem, I'll go. And when I got to rape crisis, I think that's where all the pain and all this, because when this, we're starting your, your sessions, it's like you need to relive what happened. And I had to go where I didn't want to go. I had to go to that little girl. That's what you need to do. That little girl that first got raped, you need to deal with that little girl to deal with the teenager. And that I had to do. 
And I remember I was um, very fond of teddy bears. They they gave me a teddy bear, and they say, you can hold this teddy bear. And I was, like, clinging on to this teddy bear the whole time, and tears were running down my face. And I was like, I am amazing if I could keep something like that, but I'm amazing that I am alive and were able to tell this. But I still had a challenge to tell my mother how I'm going to put this to my mother. At that time, my mom was already in the 60s and she's not going to understand anything. And I, I remember when I told my mother was when my brother at the time, he also already got sentenced like 15 years for for the rape and my mom didn't want my stepsister to come back but she had to come back from where she was and my mother wasn't believing anything that he could have done that and I remember sitting there with my mother and I'm looking in her face and I was like what if I tell you that your ex-husband's son raped me when I was six years old and she was just looking at me and not saying anything I was like, something wrong with this woman. Can she actually say something? A sorry, anything will do for me at that point. But she didn't say anything. Most of the time I was very angry, I must say. I was angry because my mother wasn't there to protect me. I was angry because I wanted her attention, but for her, her life was mainly important. That's what I thought because she was an alcoholic at that time. And I was like, I'm a parent. I need to do this. And I need to do this for me. I need to do this for my kids because I got girls. And it was like, I told myself my journey has started and this is no way where my journey is going to end. I did my sessions with rape crisis, which were very, going very well. And as time goes by, when I went through this journey and my sessions has to end because there's a time when your session had to come to an end, then you need to face reality. Because now you don't go to your counselor anymore. Now you have yourself. How are you going to cope without your counselor? because the sessions has end. I can still go back, but I also need to deal with it by myself. At that time, I was already working with young children, and I think that also encouraged me to listen to them, to their stories. And then I was like, okay, I think this, this is what I told myself every day. God, you put me on this earth for a reason. You make me survive everything that happened to me for a reason. If you want me to help the world out there, I'll do whatever. And if you want me to talk to kids, to help kids, and to have this life, I'll do anything. And I remember when I, I, I was married before, and I went even through an abusive marriage for three years before I got out. But 
there's one thing that always make me to be the strong woman, strong mother, is every single thing that happened in my life, the journey, the rape, the abuse, that make me who I am. Mm. Nothing else made me. Yeah, my mom, she's my mother, but the pain, the scars that I have, that make me who I am. Going, taking my first step to rape crisis, that's like a reaching out point. That, that was like my journey. I started my journey. And what also I could say, listening, going to court, listening to a rape story that happened within the family, that was like the most important thing that triggered everything in my life, even though I didn't want to identify it. It triggered it. And I also say thanks to that, because if I didn't went, maybe I wouldn't, would have hide myself today. And I don't call myself a victim anymore. I'm a survivor. I know there's one question that most importantly to, I don't know what happened to my stepbrother. I don't know the, the stranger. But I've never opened up a case to the two guys that I know. I still see them. Uh, rape cases gave me an opportunity to open up a rape case, and I told them, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go into the system and relive what happened. I just want to move on with my life. I just said, the only opportunity that I want is to meet them and tell them what they did to me. I met with, my, with the first one, and I told him, and he was like apologizing. I'm like, no, it's fine, accept your apology. I was just, I'm not doing this for you, I'm doing it for myself. And I met with the second one, and I told him, you know what, this, remember this happened, and so I'm going through my sessions, and this is part of my healing program. So I have to face you guys one way or the other. I can't run away from this. And he also apologized. But the most amazing thing happened. Two days after that, he came back to me, and it's like, I urgently need to speak to you. I'm like, why? He's like, I've got a problem. I'm like, okay. What's your problem? His daughter got raped by his sister's boyfriend. And I'm like, okay, so what do you think I'm supposed to be doing that information? It's like I'm asking for help. And then I was like, the only help I can give you is you need to go to a police station, open up a court case, you need to go to Simelela, take the child there, and... I was like giving him ideas and advice where to go. And I, as I was standing there, I'm like, the same person who hurts me came and asked for help. I could have said, I don't want to help you. But that wouldn't make anything easy for me because I would feel guilty. And he went and he opened up the court case, he came back and said, thank you very much for 
your advice that you gave me. I'm like, no, you're welcome. And I was like, thank God to give me the strength that you gave me every single day. And as a survivor, this will always be in my life. It will never go away. Every single day is a journey. Every single day that I'm telling my story, every single time when I'm talking about it, that shows that I survived the pain. I survived that scars that I'm having is healing, but it's taking time. There is no easy way to ease the pain than talking about it. It doesn't matter what happened. I always got told that take the pain and turn it into something um, positive. Cry if you have to. I would normally do that. I would sometimes ask myself when something goes wrong, is it because something happened to me years ago? That's why my relationship doesn't work. Or is it me? But I would say it wasn't me. It was never me. I can never blame myself. That's me today. Here I am sitting, telling my story to the whole world. And I'm just wishing that everybody that would be listening to this would decide on their own way how how they can go and find help. A first step is always the best step you can do for yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Whitney, I'm going to um, ask... The, the rest of your journey. The rest of my... The rest of your journey. I mean, you, you, you spoke of um, what happened to you and, and, and your experience with your husband and um, how... What has been the, the journey where today... Where I am today. You are able to speak about um, and share your story. Okay. Um, I have siblings as well. So my... Two of my siblings was raped when they were younger. But in those days, they never went forward. It was dealt with in the home. It was just a discussion and it was left. My sister ended up in Lentegeer. The other one just went on a racket of where she slept with every man. Every man was just, I just couldn't understand that. And at the time I was like, you can't do this. You cannot throw yourself away like this. And I think going through the rape that I went through, the abuse that I went through, made me actually realize why. It was not her fault. It wasn't her acting out. It was the after effects of not getting that counseling, that help, that sincerity Mm -hmm. of, it's going to be okay, let's deal with this. It wasn't dealt with. And when things don't get dealt with, there's always underlying um, issues like rebelliousness, um, you just kick up a record with anyone. I got to a point in my life where I, a man doesn't tell me what to do. A man is not going to touch me. 
I've never been abused as a youngster. Yeah, I'm in this marriage and I get kicked around, I get chased around, I get haunted in the sense of you can't have friends, you can't go out, you have to stay in the house, you have to look after the kids. I've got three kids now. And I needed, after the rape happened, we didn't have sex for a while because I decided I went out of this marriage. And I said that, sorry, but I want a divorce and um, this wasn't happening. The manipulation they use is, um, but I love you and I can't deal without you. And you, they just make this pretty picture. And that pretty picture is not reality. It is part of the manipulation to keep you where you are. And once you say, I'm letting that rope go out around me. It's not going to tighten around me all the time. You tell yourself, I'm going to start stepping out. And I didn't go to counseling. I didn't find out that I needed at first. I had a friend at work, which I confided in. And she couldn't understand this bubbly little person that's always greeting everybody, rushing past, like doing fabulous work, is going through a tremendous load of lots of things. And at that time, um, she said to me, you will have to do something about it. Nobody can do something for you if you not do it for yourself. So she could give me advice, she could talk to me, she could help me around. But what was I going to do to get away from it, to get rid of it, to start the healing process? And after the rape, I locked myself in the house for two weeks. I couldn't go to work. I didn't know how to tell my manager, um, this is what happened. I said to myself, I'm strong enough. I can do this on my own. I'm this cheeky babe. I can, I can do this. Put on my heels. Put on the makeup. I'm going to go. But as soon as I tried to walk out of that door, that shadow was there telling me, you are not going out here today. And yes, I relive that. But there came a time when I told myself, emotionally, I'm not going to deal with this very well. I wouldn't look at myself in the mirror. I would do my hair at the hairdresser. And when the hairdresser's done, she said, um, you're so beautiful. And I'm just like, are you done? And I'm gone. Because I'm trying to pick myself up. But I just wasn't getting to stand up. And the day that I found rape crisis, they asked me, would you like to come for an appointment? I was still off sick in that two weeks. And I went for the counseling session. At first I was like, I'm in the society where his aunties and uncles sat in a house and they wanted to deal with it right there. I had already made the case. What was I going to do for myself next? And... When I went for counselling the first time, what came out there the first time was, this is reality. You're going to have to deal with this. 
or it's going to follow you for the rest of your life and you're not going to know how to deal with it. And as I walked out of that counseling session, I then started picking up things. They gave me advice on what to do. And I had three kids. I had to now fend for my three kids. And was I ready to face the court case? I didn't know that. I just knew that I wasn't going to be abused, sexually molested, or even... You know how people are, they gossip and they bring stories and they blame you and they say, how can a married woman um, accuse mm. her husband of rape? That I had to deal with. And I was telling myself, in future, I have two daughters that I'm raising and a son. I need to make sure that my son understands that that part of life is wrong. And the way you treat a woman is the future of that woman, mm. which is another person's child. So I wasn't going to let it end there. So my journey was to get my kids also involved in what was happening. There were many times that they, he would arrange um, visitations for the kids, but in a manipulative way, um, Tell her she can come for lunch with us. And then I'm like, Guy, don't you realize what you've just done? Do you think that that was right because why you had a ring on my finger? It was wrong. I said, no. You saw me crying. You saw how I reacted. And yes, I do understand now. People ask, why didn't you shout? Why didn't you fight? It is different for everybody. Yeah. I just got numb. I didn't understand what it meant to be numb. I just was numb at that time. I just cried. I kept my mouth closed so that his tongue couldn't go in my mouth. But the mere fact that I got up there and I had to put on my survivor kit, what was I going to do next? Was this man going to shoot me with his own gun? Was he going to hit me? I was numb. I was playing the part of the little one. I was going to be the most humblest thing on this earth because I don't know how it's going to end up. When I got up there from my rape experience with him, he gave me paper to wipe myself out. I knew that there were instances in our marriage where sex wasn't consented by me, but it was taken. And that you can also classify as part of unconsented sex rape. First, when I went to counseling, I couldn't say the word I was raped. I was like, he penetrated me with his penis and he had sex with me, but I didn't want the sex. The more my counselor said to me, Yes, and he raped you. And I'm like, yes, but I wouldn't say the words myself. And the reason why I went out and made the cases was my sister them didn't make cases. But I wanted to be that one to face you, to live with myself, to get it out there. And this was a person that was very manipulative 
and I could not let this one slide. I could not let you take away my dignity, my power, my my courage, my strength, the beauty that was within me, because I had to go down deep and get that out again. As I came to the police station, um, the guy that was at the police station said to me, yes, she phoned to say that she was right. I said, yes, and I'm here to log a case. I, at the time, my mother, I phoned my mother and I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, I'm sending your baby sister to take you to go and make a case. And I said, I need to make this case. And as the time went by, um, months afterwards, the kids started hearing things from his family. And I did not want my kids to hear it from anybody that their mother was raped in their home by their father. So I sat them down. And it was the hardest thing that you could ever imagine a mother doing with the kids. I sat them down and I said to them, guys, we need to hold the hands here. But what I'm going to tell you, it's going to come from the core here. Yeah? It's going to hurt. It's going to hit you like a bus or a train coming on 200 miles a second. And they looked at me and they were like, yes, mom, you can talk. Say it. But I wasn't prepared just to say it. I was prepared to tell them just the basics. I said, Guys, your father raped me in the house. That is why you slept at your aunt's place that day that I got raped. And I do not want you to hate him. I do not want you to think that you need to take this on you. I am just wanting you to support me through this thing. And they're still young, so they don't really get the emotional part of things. But they do understand that mom is going to be taking on a lot now. So it will be a court case, it will be prosecutors, it will be counselling. And I took the courage to be open with them and tell them, guys, this is the reasons why I will be doing what I'm doing, but I am here for you. And then I said to them that I've organized counseling for them at the FAMSA clinic so that I won't, they won't always want to be open with me, but they would open to somebody else. And during our journey now, um, we've gone, grown a lot more closer. They've actually matured quicker than I want them to mature in the sense of taking responsibility to work together and also being more open and there's more freedom and we can sit down as a team and discuss things and if we don't agree on something we put it down so that is my thing with them I wanted them to be open and honest because you don't want if something happens like that to one of them to feel that I can't do this I can't they will know that there is support angels everywhere and that is what we are to each other. We are support angels to each other. Different scenes, different 
lives, different situations. But we are survivors, great survivors. I think it's a, it's a question that, that uh, you can take um, turns in, in answering. I don't, in as much as I believe that um, as a man, as a man or men need to hear these stories, I think what is equally important, if not mostly important, is word from you to those who are still living in that silence, who are in that, who um, who are either in still in an abusive relationship and uh, or have had a, a, a terrifying rape experience and have not had the opportunity to speak. Speak to them. Give them word from your heart. Okay, I would say to all the people who have been raped out there, rape is like, when you have been raped, it's like someone has taken you, put you in a in a little tiny tin and then close the tin and put it there. In order for you to come out of that thing, you need to speak out. You don't have to tell the whole world just like me. Because when you are in that thing, your life doesn't make sense. You're just running around, running around in circles. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't in fact, you can know where to go, you can know what to do, but you don't want to do it. Just think of your future. If I'm this damaged super bitch today, what am I going to be in 10 times, in 10 years to come? Just come out. There are people out there who are ready to help you. You don't have to do something you don't want to do. They're not going to tell you what to do. They're going to give you advices. You're going to choose yourself what to do. But just come out. Don't stay in that tiny little thing forever. Life is too short to be staying there. I always say, like, when they rape us, they took... As they took everything from us. But as survivors, we like tree. You cut the tree down, but when the tree is cut down, nobody, there's never been a, a, a someone that dig the, the, the roots down. They just cut the tree up. And then when the tree is cut down, it's like you in that thing. Then when the rain comes, that is rape crisis, they give you advice on what to do. They gave you everything. They powered you. Then that tree grows back 
it grows up and you find out that tree is more beautiful than it was before it was cut down then they may take everything but you just got the everything your power your dignity your beauty everything back you just shine just like me i want all the rape victims out there i wish they can see me to shine to be strong to be powerful they must tell themselves that they are very beautiful they are worth they are worth it they are not worthless no no they are not worthless they are worth it it's not their fault they didn't ask to be raped they must just pick themselves out we are there to help them although we some we won't be face to face but they if they are listening now i'm here for them i'm the perfect example of a rape survivor i was there now i'm here i want them to be where i am not where they are now for you sir um my advice would be whatever happened to you as from anna is saying you never blame yourself it doesn't matter what you're wearing if you're wearing a short mm. skirt if you're wearing a trouser a long dress even if you're covered up something will always happen but just remember this it is never your fault you didn't ask for it my plea will also go out to the community as large if the community would stop stigmatizing that person who's being raped saying that especially in the communities we live in like Kailiche Mitchell's plain you know saying if she didn't went to the shabin or if she didn't walk out late at night that wouldn't have happened they shouldn't put it up like that instead of what can we do how can i help you ways the nearest places be familiar with to take the person because the more the community puts a blame on a rape victim that's when the person starting to blame themselves it's not about the community also it's about you no matter what people are telling you the most important person at that point is yourself to families that is dealing with situations like rape don't keep it in the family because if you keep it in the family you're breaking down that person you're breaking down that child you're breaking down that woman instead of breaking that person up you need to build up that person give her the strength and give her the support because in my years of going through my trauma I've never had support ever 
I had to dealt with it myself. I wasn't even 18 yet when all this happened to me. I had to support all by myself. And I learned through that that uh, today I'm the strong woman. I'm this mother. I'm not in that box anymore. Mm. I'm not in the tin. Fumana's putting it very well. You, this tree or this flower, when everybody's looking at it, it died. But never, nobody knows that when spring is coming, mm. when the rain is coming, that flower, that tree, it's going to grow again and be as beautiful as it is. Be there every day. We're not telling our stories because... We want to be famous. Famous. We want to be told we need attention. This has nothing to do with attention. We're telling our stories because we want to help whoever is out there to tell them it happened. We have the scars. It's just too bad nobody can see the scars. Because if you meet us, you can like see very happy people mm. joking to each other. But when you start talking, that's when you're going to start seeing the scars. People always ask, why don't you guys cry anymore? We're done crying. We cried when it happened. We cried when we blamed ourselves. We cried when you thought it was our fault. We cried when he didn't have support. But the day when we started the journey, that's the day when we decided we're not going to share any more tears. The only tears that we're going to be sharing is happy tears, is to say we made it. We're standing. We are proud parents. We are proud survivors we are basically i can say we are ambassadors mm. not only for cape town but basically for the whole world because we are not hiding anymore for the men out there if you knew that you did something wrong i would say that to them when you rape that person just know that you took that person's whole life apart and it's pieces that the person need to pick up and it's not going to be easy to pick up and the next thing that I want to say to men out there now you need to imagine the pieces of that person that you break down. What do you think does that make you feel when you took that person's dignity, that person's virginity, this person's self-respect? And what do you call yourself at that time? And... I know that there are men out there that are being raped. That's not easy for them to go to a police station, 
to open up a case because there's always this myth that says men can't be raped. If you can't get yourself to a police station to tell a story, reach out to rape crisis, reach out to places where they are help to help you guys. You might find out if you can't go to the police station because it's going to be taken as a joke. But when you go to places like rape crisis and tell your story, you might get the support that you think you are never going to get. You might get your day in court that you thought you're never going to get. And to them, I would also say, you never blame yourself when it happens to you. Thank you. Um, Whitney, you conclude with your message. Yes, um, my message is just to... We came here today to empower you out there who is going through pretentious, abusive relationships, um, going through anything, whether it's marital, whether it's relationship, whether it's family, rape, abuse, or even the smallest little inhumane action that can happen. It is wrong. And it is within you that lies the ability to take that call and say, no more, I will not let this sink me into the ground like a rotten core. I will rise above this and I will find the help and the people that I need to speak to to help me deal with it. And you guys know Google is a wonderful engine. You can just Type in there if you don't know the numbers or the contact details of rape crisis or um, counseling lines. Type it in. Look for it. If you can't find it, speak to someone. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of centers out there that is willing to help you. And even if it be the smallest little voice that comes out of this, I just want to say this morning that no matter who you are, color, race, Um, society status it can happen to anyone it can happen to really anyone and there are lots of um, things in life that prohibits you from going forward it's just up to you to take that step a small step can lead to the biggest healing process that you could ever imagine that's my message to you guys out there Can I say one more thing? I want to say to the perpetrators, at the end of the day, you become the victim of us survivors. Now we are the survivors. You are the victim now. Because if I would meet now my cousin out there, he's the one who would run away from me. It's the other way around now. I want, I, want, I want the perpetrators to be aware of that. They may, they, we may be the victims at first, but at the end of the day, we just won the, war, the battle. They may, the battle, the war, whatever. But at the end of the day, we are the winners, the survivors. They are the losers. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Ooh.